right, this is the episode one of the Street Cop podcast. I brought Tom Rizzo in because he's uh, not only an instructor here, but he's also a dear friend of mine. Um, our families are very close. So, without further ado, Tom teaches leadership professionalism for street cop training. He is a captain at a police agency, and he is probably one of the most impressive speakers I've ever seen in my life. So, without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, my pal, Tom Rizzo. Thank you. All right, so we took uh, a few questions from the group today regarding what they wanted to hear out of this podcast from Tom Rizzo. So he always gives good answers. It's what we had him for the first guest. Um, I don't know if people want to hear from me necessarily right off the hop. <laughs> so we'll go right into the questions for Tom Rizzo and leadership regarding leadership and police work. And the first one is from Dean Pinto. Dean's a great guy. Dean's been a supporter of street cop training since the inception, since the beginning. He says, how do you cultivate the team win mentality knowing there are there will always be that 10% lurking to drag others down with their negativity? Lack of effort based on for self slash individual wants and attitude. I mean, I have a little bit of an answer on this, too, so I'm going to let you go first, and then I'll, uh, I'll see if I can parlay off of it. Go ahead, Tom. Okay. Uh, so, yeah, good question, right? And what I've always taught is the 90-10 rule. 90% of your time is spent on 10% of the people, unfortunately. And uh, research actually shrinks that number. and re- Research indicates more of a 5% that you really can't affect, no matter how good you treat them, no matter what you give them. Um, you know, they have their own insecurities and their own demons that they're battling. Uh, selfishness, unfortunately, is something that is a plague in our career, in our industry. Uh, my personal opinion, though, is I don't give them the time and the attention. I give the time and attention to the people that I think deserve it. And we have so many B students that we could develop into A students with just that little bit of TLC. Uh, but unfortunately, it just is inherent with supervisors that we tend to just, you know, veer into the direction of dealing with those problem ones and the problem children. Um, it's just unfortunate, though, because all that does is breed further attention, and then it gives more initiative that, for them to continue acting the way that they act. Um, I think it's something that, unfortunately, we're always going to have, but really uh, you're in control of where you choose to dedicate your time and your energy. And I think that if more time and energy is going toward them, the other ones that are good feel that they're being neglected. So I, I say to, you know, fight the urge, fight that, you know, um, the temptation to just go d- down that road and give too much time and attention to those people because it's not going to change. Uh, always leaving your door open, though. They choose to turn the light switch on, you welcome them with open arms. Uh, and the only way to do that is to make it seem like it's a better road ahead by being, you know, part of the good group. Tommy's voice sounds like warm, hot chocolate in the winter. I mean, it's just, it is an amazing Voice, I don't. Need, I've got lost. Um, and, and if you're trying to put a baby to sleep, this could be the right one. So I hope I'm not putting you to sleep. I, I'm going to read the question again. I'm going to give you my perspective on it. Uh, not trying to steal any thunder at all. I'm sure that people wanted to hear from my perspective as well as Tommy's. How do you cultivate the team win mentality, knowing there will always be that 10% lurking to dra- uh, probably spent looking to drag others down with their negativity, lack of effort based on for self, individual wants and attitude. Well, let's go to the administrative level, and I don't know if Tommy said this because, like I said, I got lost in his voice, but I think this needs to be addressed at an administrative level. And I've I've been asked by many administrators, chiefs, captains, deputy chiefs, majors, colonels, lieutenant colonels, you name it. I've had conversations, and they've asked questions like this. What do we do with those people who we can't motivate? And it really does 
begin with the person at the top, the leader, to address this issue, to understand first that you have an issue, and secondly, then to begin to address it. And I don't think going against getting into a battle with the people who aren't happy is going to solve your issue. I think it's trying to find out what makes those people happy, what makes them tick, right? Not everybody's going to be a hard charger. We get this conversation all the time. Oh, you guys are work but are lazy. Okay, guys have been lazy since the beginning of history. That's a fact. There's nothing new. Millennials are lazy. (laughs) They're not. The culture of your agency is laziness, and they're going to gravitate towards culture. So it's not a game of starting a war with these people because you can't get rid of them. So it's a game of what are they looking to get out of it? And also, I think on the other side of the coin is to communicate to those uh, in your agency that, look, we all are on the same team, but pick and choose who you want to be. Don't go along with the culture of somebody else because you think they're cool. I tell people that all the time. I get that question. Hey, I'm going into field training. What should I look out for? Look out for figuring out who you're going to be friends with at work, <laughs> yeah. right? Like that's that's what it comes down to. Like figure out who you're going to be friends with at work. And by the way, the guys who don't do anything aren't bad people. Sure. They're just not motivated, hard-charging workers. That's not their dynamic or DNA. Uh, I started in corrections. Dude, that was... I look at that now, and I'm like, man, that literally was killing me because, dude, I sat in a chair all day. I mean, that's for eight hours, sometimes Where six mediocrity hours. is okay. Right. Yeah. Like, it was brutal. I don't yeah. let somebody tell you anything different about corrections. It was brutal. I was just sitting there trying to figure out how to occupy my time. And for somebody like me who's productive, who couldn't stop, that's my normal, right? But some other people, it's not their normal. And, um, you know, especially in New Jersey, we don't have the ability to just get rid of people uh, because they're not performing. Rather than trying to lock horns, try to understand what they want, and try to accompany that, like appease them. You can win the hearts and minds of probably everybody. If you couldn't, there's probably an issue with what you're communicating. Oh, I got every 94% of the guys think I'm great, but 6% think I'm an AH, right? Well, that's really not not solving the issue. Uh, I would have constant open communication with those people who the 6% left. Like, look, guys, I, I'm not a bad guy. You've got to lay some humility on the table as a police <laughs> leader. And explain, I'm not a bad guy. I'm not trying to make life difficult for you. There's some things, I know that everybody's not a hard charger. That's cool. What do you want out of this place? Because I'm going to make it happen, right? I want you to be happy. I want this place to be, and I know what the last guy did, or I know what this guy's doing. I know that this sergeant's giving you a hard time. Don't worry. I'm going to sit down with him next and address that. I never understood a police department that allows frontline supervision to misbehave. To be bad. Yeah, and it comes down to the same thing with business principles, right? Like, if somebody has to be asked to leave here, a.k.a. fired from this company, you know, people will say, like, hey, you want me to get, take care of it? No, I'll, I'm going to take care of it. I'm the one who stands here and says, I'll run this company. That comes with it. So if you're going to take that oath and say, I'm going to be the boss, well, a lot of responsibility comes with that. And some of that responsibility is having tough conversations with people, sure. right? Like telling people, like, look, I'm not trying to make your life difficult, but you perform, whatever it may be, uh, but being kind about it in communication, um, and then doing the dirty work when you have to. So if you got a supervisor who's misbehaving, hey Joe, <laughs> Joe, like what do you like? Everybody here has a problem. With what you're doing. So let's start breaking this down and figuring out what the problem is, right? Because I can't have you treating people who come to work trying to do a job that's very, very difficult the way you're doing it, right? If you're having issues with understanding how to supervise, let me give you the first piece of advice. And I always tell all my friends who get promoted, this place was. Function when you weren't here, and it'll function when you're not here. Imagine so that. I don't think you're going to come in here and, and reinvent the wheel, right? If you don't know how to lead and create real good new ideas, you don't got to come in and just do something for the sake of doing something because you right. got some chevrons on your shoulder. Exactly, yeah. They feel the, the obligation to do that, though. Everybody wants to leave their mark. 
But, you know, I tell you what we're bad at, though. What we're bad at is just round pegs for round holes. You know, there's cer- certain people that do have something to bring to the table. It's not just about the C product. Uh, but, again, our inability to see past, you know, the initial appearance or the initial effort or the initial disposition screws us. So, I mean, if, if they have the ability to do something, let them do it. And, and then they will be productive in their own right. But we also have an inability to accept the fact that some people are okay being average. Not everybody's meant to go out there and do interdiction work. That's a fact. I don't care who the instructor is or who the educator is. Somebody's just not meant to do it. Listen, I, I tell people in class, I go, in my mind, the 148 people that are in this class right now will go out and take on the world. Yep. Um, but the reality is, is 10 to 15% of you are going to get it, and right. about 7% of you are actually going to go out and do the work. And, put it to and work. that's fine. Yep. If you sat through this class and learned how not to die, wonderful, right? Yep. Like you're going to just change your tactic on your motor vehicle stop, and you know, your brain's going to open up to, oh my God, I could die any day uh, or any minute at this job. But yeah, I mean, it's not for everybody. Nope. We're not for everybody. This is not for everybody. But what we're trying to do is have impact and give thoughtful ideas to law enforcement because we need help, folks. No doubt. Right? And this old school mentality of this is the way it was in 1973, and it still works in 2020 into 2021. And and, and in the future, it doesn't apply anymore. And the sooner you get that through your head, the better you understand. So if you're having a difficult time with leadership, there are leadership podcasts, there's leadership books, there's leadership videos. 100%. You can improve. Yep. You can become better at this. That's a fact. And I think the one thing about maybe the overall quality, and you could tell me if you agree with this, the overall quality about good leadership is selflessness, Yes. not selfishness. But in this profession, we find ourselves getting selfish. Why? Because there's not much to get. Hundred percent. So, because there's not much to get, there's not an overabundance of what what can I do? For, what can I give myself? There's not an overabundance of great schedules and great positions and good equipment and and details and recognition and awards. It's always this: what can I get for me? When you can behave in a selfless manner and you know stand up for your guys and girls when they need to, they need you're the, you're the dad, right? Yep. Mom and you know your kids are looking at you. Daddy's got to do something. <laughs> And uh, when daddy's a no-show because he, he's off at the bar drinking, he ain't much of a dad. And what I mean by that is is when they're asking for help with these frontline supervisors or a personal issue, it's time to be their dad. Open up, be empathetic, care about them, and offer some some help because that's what you said when I said I will be this person. I'll take this position. You put your hand on the book and said, I do. And it doesn't mean you get a $9,000 pay raise and the ability to be a J.O. to folks now. <laughs> It means there's a new responsibility with it, and the sure. responsibility is to lead. If you don't know how to lead, it's okay. Just don't pretend like you're leading and you're doing things that are incorrect. If you, Somebody asked me this one recently. Hey, what if my supervisors don't know what they're doing? I go, well, then tell them what you're doing. Sure. Don't ask them what to do. Right. Just let them know what you're doing, yeah. right? I mean, it's, I, was just, I got guys and girls that I worked for that had no clue. They didn't even know what I was doing. They couldn't figure out what I was doing. But uh, it wasn't a conversation of like, yeah, this guy, he don't know nothing. We all know he doesn't know anything, <laughs> right? We all know he doesn't know anything or she doesn't know anything. We, we all know that. Um, but you don't got to make it that way. No. Give the person the credit they deserve of sure. wearing the chevrons. Don't, let's, let's be very clear here. This is not an opportunity for me to, to, to take a shot at administrations as a whole. We don't have to fix the people who are doing a good job. We right. have to address the problems and the yep. issues. And by the, pe- by the way, the people who are doing a good job if it wasn't for your valiant efforts, your selflessness, you know, working the holidays so the guy could have time off with his family, 
taking the extra shift because this guy got beat up on, whatever it may be, we want to say on behalf of everybody in law enforcement, if it wasn't for you, the job would be impossible because it balances out the other people who took this job because they needed a job and took a promotion because they wanted to get more money and a better schedule. And that's unfortunate, and that's what we deal with. And that's where a lot of the dichotomy of how do we get this better, who are we fighting against, and it's yeah. our own people. Yeah, that's a fact. And uh, having the humility, right? So having the humility to accept the fact that somebody that might be below you in terms of the hierarchy and the rank structure might have a skill set that you don't have. And I've always said this to the supervisors that I instruct. What better way to look good, right, and to shine than to develop the people under you and letting them shine in whatever their craft is. So you look better doing that, letting them do their thing. It's real simple. It's not complicated. And unfortunately, just so we're all clear, generally in private industry, generally, leadership kind of rises to the top because those are the people who had the ability to navigate through when they were a grunt to earn the ability to foresee the future, make good decisions, keep a culture. I mean, that's what we really do here. So culture is paramount at a police department. I've worked at three different agencies. Uh, I can tell you that culture is everything. And once culture starts to erupt, it is a virus. Um, and you have to make a decision whether or not you're going to go along with the majority of the minority. I can yep. tell you my second job um, where I worked was a federal police agency. It was You were the police. I'm not making that up. I'm not insecure about that. We were the cops. At that agency, proactive got things, right? Like So if you were proactive, you went out, they didn't care what you did as long as you were doing something. Yeah. They were going to take care of you, and they did. And a guy like me was doing very, very well there. I was recognized for my efforts, but that's who I was. And then I went to my last agency, and it just happened to be the opposite. So I was very taken very off guard, caught very off guard when I showed up and started doing work, and I was uh, you know, shunned. Yeah. But a handful of us stuck together and went out and did the work, and at some point, eventually it broke, and they allowed it. Yep. And um, there are gatekeepers at your agency. I, I, I honestly would, would suffocate if I had to work at a police department that told me I couldn't go out and arrest bad people committing crimes. Right. I just don't understand that. But we're not indentured servants either, right? So you, ha you always have the choice. And I tell people this. I'm not saying some people have easier choices than others because of a lot of the dynamics, but um, you have choices, though, right? And I'm with you. Uh, if I worked for a police, uh, police department where you know, being proactive was the antithesis of what they expected, I wouldn't stay. Only because I know whatever, you know, fringe benefit that you're enjoying by being a part of that department is going to turn out in the long run to be your detriment. That's a fact. Well, I said we would answer three questions, so let's go on to question two. Okay. Uh, how can sergeants handle the, I've been here for 20 years and you can't make me do shit officers who suck at morale, who suck the morale off the shift and leave a long-term impact on newer officers? For example, at my old department, they would assign newer officers to each shift to spread out the experiences. This put new officers who would have been good cops on days where they would have been bullied into uh, not being proactive and taught how to avoid work. Now those officers are worthless and bitter with three or four years on and 25 to go. So again, I go back to what I was saying before about this is where the frontline supervisors are so important and round pegs for round holes. Now, I, I coined something I call the garbage man theory, and some people get upset when I say this, but I don't mean it literally. I come from a blue-collar blue family. I mean, my father was a bus driver in New York City. It's not like I think that there's anything wrong with that profession. But my point is this. The world needs them, right? So, again, it's shifting your focus and your time and energy and your innovation onto those that matter. 
So what I've done through my experience with those types of officers, never treat them poorly. You always want to treat your, your people like they're good people. And again, empathy is always the cornerstone of what we do. Um, but they would be my radio guys, right? Those would be the ones that, hey, you're going to answer and you're going to respond to the less salacious type things that these other officers, those younger ones especially, want to go out and do. And what does it do? It frees up their time for them to flourish. It doesn't matter if they want to be interdiction, traffic, uh, you know, uh, street crime type thing, quality of life issues, but it frees them up of those mundane tasks that those guys could then go and handle. I always say this, I don't believe in forcing, but my thing is if you're going to win on some days, and this is where humility comes into place. So some days they might be able to sit under a tree and read a newspaper. That's the, cho- that's the course that they've chosen. But more days than not, you're going to win, where those guys are going to be handling the neighbor disputes, the alarms, the BS domestics, while your proactive officers are getting out there doing what they want to do and actually doing the police type of policing we believe in. Uh, so I always say that if they see, if the younger officers see your attention being you know, the constant tug of war, those guys will inevitably win by you becoming frustrated. And then what? You have no time and energy left for those young proactive officers. I'll give you my take on it. I'm going to read the question again. It says, how can sergeants handle the I've been here for 20 years and you can't make me do shit officers who suck the morale out of the shift and leave long-term impact for newer officers? Yeah. Here's a story. My last agency, the captain came down and said we had, we had hired 26 new people for a 200-man police department in one year. So you had, a, I mean, literally almost half, one-third of the patrol division was brand new. I mean, <laughs> brand new. I mean, and, and that came with a lot of – you look back on it now and, like, of course – of course, it's, there was a lot of problems. You have literally people who have no idea what they're doing sure. running the police department, yeah. per se, right? And and that challenge could be handled a little, a little bit better. Um, you know, am I saying – I'm not here sitting here pointing fingers at what could have been done, but here's the reality. Captain comes down to muster one day, and she goes, uh, Chief is not happy with all the new people and the, the performance that they're giving. And I thought to myself, well, a couple of us who worked at other police departments before this are able to perform a little bit better – and these people just needed some time. And I raised my hand audaciously like I did. And she said yes. And I said, well, look who your field training officers are. What do you think you're creating here? I don't know. This dude goes and reads the paper for two hours a morning while this guy sits here hoping to do something. At a very minimum, teach him how to run radar, right? You want to do something. Like, let him run plates while he reads the paper. Maybe right. you'll get a stolen car, sure. right? Maybe you'll get a real hot... Something. Yeah, anything. Yeah. Then you got this guy. He's the next guy. He's been patrolled for 38 years. He hates this place. He tells him as soon as he walks in, go be a fireman. What are you doing here? And how bad all of you are to him. But you make him a field training. And the only reason they're FTOs and the reason they get violent when you don't, when you don't let them field train is because they're entitled to an hour and a half of comp time every day. And they'll use that to go fishing in the summer. And that's a horrible incentive. And her proposal was, what do you suggest that we do? I go, you have people here with three years on the job, right? You have people here with two and a half that are more than qualified to show these people how to do the job than these guys here because they don't know what they're doing. I mean, you got guys asking, you got guys 22 years on the job, you're asking new guys how to do jobs. Those are your field training officers. I mean, you know, good guys, but they don't even know what they're doing. So what do you think you get as a product when you cycle them through the training? And I got to tell you, beyond police work in my business career, one thing that I've recognized is that training is paramount. I mean, it yeah. just is. I have seen people literally get hired and just left. Mm-hmm. And you can't blame your you can't blame them for that. Nope. If we're dealing with somebody at this company, we have a lot of full-time employees at this junction of this uh, of our path. 
if somebody's having a difficult time, I try to sit with them and work. Like, what aren't you getting? What do you need me to do? How am I failing you? Mm-hmm. Because the job's not getting done correctly. There's got to be something I got, I'm, I'm not telling you. If I go through all that and I do everything I can and they're still not getting it, what's well, a different story? I don't have to abide by um, civil service guidelines <laughs> yeah. here. You know what I mean? So, um, you know, to me, it, it comes back all the way back to the top-line administration accepting responsibility for what they're creating. Sure. And if that's the mentality at the top, guess what the mentality at the bottom is going to be? Oh, magnified. Yeah, I mean, and, and you're just going to get a few guys that just don't fit in. And if you're feeling like you're at a place where you don't fit in and you have options, find a place where you do. You know right. what I mean? If they're going to – I always tell people, if they leave you alone and let you work and don't break your chops – you're in a good spot. Good place. They got your back when, when somebody comes in and files these fraudulent complaints against police, and they have your interest at stake. They're not going to serve you up. They're going to give you a fair shot at being called to the table to explain your actions. They're going to understand that mistakes occur. You're not going to lose your livelihood because you didn't know this because they didn't teach it to you. That's okay. You can get by there. Right. But if you're at a place where it's you know you're, you, you feel this in your body that you need to be a better cop, this is how you envision your law enforcement career, well, what can I tell you to do? It's your life. You owe nothing to anybody. And even if you got to take a little bit of a pay cut, I'd rather be happy going to work oh, every single day. It's just well, worth it. Yeah. You know? But how about helping each other out, too? You know, if you see somebody struggling, it's just because they're missing just a couple pieces of information or a couple tips and tricks. How about offering it to them and helping them out? And I, th- I think this is the sergeant asking this question about how do I address these guys? You know, look, uh, I get it. I can see what it's like. But again, you said, I will, I'll take this spot, put those things on my collar, put them on my shoulders, and I can handle this. You have to figure it out. It's a communication issue. So you have to figure it out. And like Tom said before, it goes back to the original conversation. Find what they're good at. Right. You're not going to win by fighting. But unfortunately, traditional training mechanisms, and I'm not you know, throwing shade on any other uh, you know, training company or any other way to train, but um, traditional training with this is always goes right down the discipline route. And again, let's just talk reality. You're not going to win. These guys have been around. They're survivors. They're going to find a way to manipulate the system to just keep their heads enough above water that it's going to preclude you from doing anything really permanent to them. So I always recommend, why not just making it effective? Define effective. So for me, effective would be I don't want somebody like that going out and making bad case law. I just don't want it. But I'm going to get my widgets made by them while the other people who actually internalize the job make something of it. But I always leave my door open. Anytime somebody wants a clean slate and wants to jump on the right ship, let's do it. I don't ever, I don't ever hold a grudge. I sit here as we record this podcast and say in my head, how many people are listening to this and it is everything that they are and they're being exposed and they're being self-exposed and they're recognizing this and you have a decision to make. You can either listen to this and make a change because sure. we're giving you the right answers. There sure. is... The other answer is because other people agree or say, "Well, that's how I." That's the problem in that's law the enforcement. Problem. That's They're how the problem. So it. you can you can either hear this and say, "You know what? They're right. I can do this better," or you can say, "F this. I don't care. It doesn't matter. I get a paycheck every two weeks." Right. And then when you sit there and you complain that all the stuff you see on the news is against police, don't forget your ass is part of the problem. No doubt. You you are part of the problem personally. So take responsibility. Uh, we can implement change if you choose to. And that's where you don't have to act cool in front of your friends. Well, this is the way it's always been here. Enough with that line, for the love of yeah. it. If there's anything worse in the world to hear, I mean, uh, Sloan Kettering, it's written on the <laughs> walls. The most dangerous phrase in the world is, this is the way we've always right. done things here. We right. have to be innovative and growing and constantly changing. 
And part of that comes with the way you have to navigate. This is a business. You must, the best business leaders are the best communicators. That's a fact. They're selfless. We do things here. Um, we try to build leadership here and build self, uh, you know, people who can, who are self-sufficient and, and can do their own thing and feel accomplished. This is principles. They're not, you don't got to find a police book to get this. You can go on YouTube and watch videos on leadership. You can improve. I often think if I, uh, you know, if and when I would have been promoted, had I not had the outside education that I've received, that I've sought out myself, how I would have behaved. You'd be stifled. It's not that you'd be bad at it, but I always say if you want to blow your mind and expand your capabilities far beyond what we learn traditionally with law enforcement, you have to be able to open up your perspectives to non-law enforcement mechanisms. I mean, there's just so much to learn from some of these great business minds. Here's a good one, and this will be number three. It's okay. from uh, Jim on Facebook in our group, streetcoptraining.com forward slash. I'm sorry. It's actually facebook.com forward slash streetcop. I think it's for streetcop training. I think it's streetcop. I don't know. It's our first podcast. Give us a break, folks. Jim writes in, how do you overcome clicks as it pertains to getting into special assignments and promotions? This is one of Tommy's favorites. That's it. Uh, so obviously there's the ins and the out groups, right? So the way I always say to permeate that is to simply you have to be willing to go and seek out the information and make yourself a part of it. I'm proud to say that, you know, if you sit back and just expect things to be given to you, or you expect to be offered, you know, the avenue to, to get into these groups, it's not going to happen. We're bad at that, right? We don't do a good job too much when it comes to recruiting because your finger has to be on the pulse. And that takes time and energy to know your people. Um, so like anything else, how do you, you know, become a part of a group? How would you become a part of a group before you got into law enforcement? Because you want to be a part of that group. Now, again, I always say this, though. Look who the circle is. Do you want to be part of that circle? You've got to be careful. Sometimes when you assign yourself certain commonalities because a group does a certain type of work, but look who you're going to be associated with. That could be your detriment. You hang out you know, at the barbershop long enough, you get a haircut, right? So um, I'm a big fan of creating my own groups. and But having those groups be diverse in personality and skill set. Those are the best groups, not just for production. That's always where our brains go to when we talk about supervision and leadership is right into production, right? How do I become part of that group? Why? For the raise, for the promotion, for the assignment. I would say this, like there's only so many opportunities to be given. Uh, I'm in a position now where I wish I could give 30 opportunities a year. It just doesn't, you know, through attrition, everything, through uh, retirements, through openings and vacancies, the world doesn't work that way. So do that type of work that the group is doing and it will be recognized. But you have to be proactive, not in how you work, but how you market yourself, how do you advertise yourself. Um, a lot of this goes back to, it sounds like a broken record, but it's incumbent upon the person. It's choices you make and how you want to be. But I always say, don't worry about being the next Dennis Benino. Be the first you. Make your own way. Make your own way of doing it. And, I mean, that's the coolest way to be. Wait, do you actually say the Dennis Benino? Is that you're using me like regularly? <laughs> no, just just now. Just I was the example because I'm in front of your face. You just now. That son of a bitch. <laughs> uh, uh, you know, to go back on that, just to revisit that subject. Hopefully, I lose my train of thought. I actually meant to have a notepad and paper here, so because my <laughs> mind is off in nineteen thousand directions every single day at once. <laughs> um, the click thing. I, I like the idea of encompassing the job as a whole and being somebody who's universal from click to click. Now, what I wanted to say was in regards to this, life isn't fair. And I say this in class a lot. Life isn't fair. And if you think life isn't fair, police works about 10 times more 
not fair. There'll be times in your career where you deserve something or yep. somebody else deserves something that they got or you should have gotten. Yep. And this is how it goes. Why? Because it's politics, nepotism, unfair treatment, um, and it's rampant. And it does, and, and it's not everywhere, but it's at a lot of places. Uh, and there is actually no nepotism at this company. Actually, I'm so adamantly against it because I've been such a victim of it <laughs> for so many years. And I'm not sitting here saying that I didn't, I deserved everything that I asked for because uh, I didn't because I did misbehave at times. I did not deserve certain things, but other things I did. And it's so much so that it got recognized and almost forced mm. that if you didn't do this, it would be right. really yeah. bad, right? Roller coaster of a career, uh, just the way it goes. And what I could tell you is once you release yourself from this constant chase of how you envisioned your career, and you could say, look, every day I go to work and I do something that I love. And you know what? They didn't pick me for the canine guy this year. I didn't get to go on the interdiction team. They didn't pick me for street crimes. Oh, it's effed up that so-and-so's daughter got picked for this and I didn't and got moved around, blah, 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 all these things. When you can release yourself from that and say, you know what? I, I don't care. I like this job. When I stopped chasing the carrot midway through my career, life got easy. Right. You guys say, yeah, hey, you know, I would go to trainings and There'd be six guys from my PD at three, four hundred dollar training courses that I paid out of pocket, paid for my own hotel room, yep. and took my own vacation time for that they got to come on the house yep. per diem food, and I was five times the production that they were, and I just didn't get angry with it. Yep. Right? I laughed because I chose me. They didn't choose me. I, I'm, right. not, I'm not waiting to get picked. Yeah. I am not waiting to get picked. But that also establishes a ton of credibility for you as you move up. You know, I had to learn the hard way. Uh, I say this all the time. I'm a recovered jerk when it comes to uh, woe is me. And, yeah, it comes with maturity. I, I used to 100% be the first one to say, why not me? Why not me? I deserved it. I was the better pick. Because we all view ourselves that way, right? Uh, but, man, do you establish a ton of credibility when how you react and persevere through trials and tribulations, right? Um, you establish that credibility because you're going to be in a situation then moving forward and have to counsel somebody when they didn't get what they wanted. So when you have that personal you know, uh, equity that you could say, hey, listen, this happened to me too, and it wasn't fair when it happened to me. It doesn't taste good. You're not going to be happy about it. I get it. But trust me, there's 10 more times eyes on you on how you're going to react to not getting it compared to how you react when you have a blessing. Right? Nobody says, why me, when they win the lottery. Nobody says, oh, I have to pay taxes. Um, instead, everybody always thinks that they're getting gypped instead of counting the blessings that they have right in front of them. Yeah, and you know what? Um, you are not in charge. You're not in control. You yeah. have signed it over to this police department. And yeah. unfortunately, when you do take it, they are in control. Um, it is not a fair no. place to work. Nope. Uh, if, and I always, I often say in class, how many people work at an agency where it's fair to get promoted and nobody <laughs> raises their hands oh, ever? Well. And I said, and I, and I say... That's what I'm trying, the point I'm trying to make. When you already know that the game is stacked against you, sure. right? SOPs weren't designed to help you. They were designed to hurt you. They Nothing about an SOP. Nobody's ever read SOPs and knew how to do the job, <laughs> right? It's just the way it goes. It's very, very infrequent. But we've created it. Yeah. We've created that environment. Yeah, that's right, and that's the, that's the culture. People want to know why this and why we can't get people. Of course you can't. Like, look what you've done. And are you – the, the last thing I have to say before we continue to end uh, or progress to the end here is – are you helping or are you hurting? Which right. one are you? Are you acting selfishly or are you acting selflessly? Which one is it? You've got to make a decision. 
does it really matter that you get the same paycheck every two weeks, or does it matter that people are going to remember you as the person that they they uh, appreciated or the person that they hated? Um, there are people that I worked with that have since then retired, and you hear about two people when you leave a police department. Yeah. The biggest AH there ever was and the greatest guy or girl there ever was. So you get two people that are remembered, and... I mean, it's carried on for decades. We still hear about the guys from '86 who were the biggest AHs. Oh, he was the worst. Yep. This guy, I like when he got that guy got asked to leave. Thank God. I mean, who are you trying to be, and why are you okay with that? If you are the bad, how does somebody personally live with being the bad guy? And don't lie to yourself. And I used to have a guy that I used to work with used to go, you know, being a captain's a it's a tough gig, and I got to make some decisions that are unpopular with folks at times. I go, well, you're also effing everybody over all the time, so like you can keep. <laughs> Telling yourself the story you think you want to hear, but everybody in this place knows you're full of shit and you can't hide that, right? Like, so he would, that was his big excuse. So I got to do things that are unpopular at times. No, you could do a lot. You do nothing that's popular. There's nothing here that you've done that's popular. Right. It's all a balance, right? Yeah. But let's call it, I mean, leave a penny, take a penny, right? Those dishes. Uh, which one do you do? Do you leave more of them or you take more of them? Um, you know, are you leaving your thumbprint? You know, when you talk about the guys that everybody remembers after the far, far, you know, long after they've uh, they've left, um, it's because they're felt, right? They're felt in the fabric, um, and it's because they've left that influence on. They were worried about being a legacy, not leaving a legacy. So just be that legacy, and it's all about leaving more pennies than you take. Um, it, and yes, there are unpopular things you have to do. But define popular. It's unpopular because we don't allow people into those perspectives. We don't allow them into as stakeholders into that decision making process. So what? Ignorance is bliss. Uh, they let the I always say they let the uh, the threads go to their heads, um, and the rank becomes them instead of they become the rank. So uh, I always caution against that, and it's just about we're in the business of people. You want to see you know the public have a better perception of us. Well, then we should tr- treat each other better first. It doesn't work the other way around. Right, and dude, like. If you are somebody listening to this and this is ruffling your feathers and making you upset, we know who you are. Yeah. You can't hide it. You think in the state, let's take New Jersey where we are right now. You think we don't know what agencies are run by good supervision and what it's no secret no. who's who's all messed up, yeah. who's run by like by lunacy. And yeah. you can just continue to tell yourself the same story. Oh, yep. uh, yeah, they don't know. They don't, they're not this, they're not, they don't know. Yeah, those guys over there are street cop. Who are you crying to? Who are you trying to profess your story to? The only people you're going to find are going to listen are your other friends that are misbehaving in the same. We watch it. You yeah. watch in this profession who gravitates who gravitates toward another. You've got people from this company who are, you know, in my opinion, uh, some of the greatest humans that I know in this profession. And then you look at other places and you can tell when they migrate together. They're fake to each other. They're backstabbing. They're they're talking shit about other police training companies. They're you can't hide your true colors. No, you can decide to change. You just can. You can make an effort to change. And, and don't kid yourself if the effort's half-assed. I'm talking about a full effort. Don't half-ass the effort. So the question I have for you again is: Are you part of the solution or are you part of the problem? Are you selfish? Uh, se- I'm sorry, selfless or are you selfish? Who are you and how are you behaving? It's not easy to be selfless, right? Because because there's no immediate ROI on it. But I can promise you this. The long-term ROI on selfless behavior, oh, it's paramount. I mean, I can't can't express to you enough as things run through my head. Up front, my loss. Long-term, my gain. 100%. Right? But also, I mean, hurt people hurt people, right? 
So you have to get over the fact that you might have fallen down and scuffed your knee once or twice. It takes that humility and that empathy to tell the next guy in line, hey, watch out, that step's uneven. Instead of this, this culture of, well, I went through it, so I hope he goes through it. Uh, that's how, because let me tell you, it's a lonely feeling, a feeling of despair when your career is over with. We all have that shelf life. I, I know I sound like a broken record with that, but it's the fact. When then you ring the phone and nobody wants to answer because they couldn't wait for you to get out of there. As far as I'm concerned, I want to you know leave that thumbprint so that when you know this part of my life is over, it'll still be that there's that connection there. And how do you do that? By making the connections now, not worrying about you know until it's too late and how you can make somebody's day miserable just because you can. Same same mentality we talk about all the time about the decision to write a ticket over not writing a ticket. Right, you're still doing your job by stopping the person. You don't have to always go that extra step. We always misdiagnose supervision and management and leadership always with a sanction. You know, I say if you're disciplinary and, and your sanctions and your consequences and your reprimands outweigh your accommodations and your attaboys and your good jobs, you're doing something wrong. And it's because you're battling your own demon. Maybe that didn't happen to you. It comes a time in everybody's life you got to turn the page. So, again, you know, do you want to represent that change? You can and I deal with a lot of people now, especially ever since joining with Street Cop, that they reach out to me privately. Oh, well, you know, but how do I do that? There's a fear there because there's a fear of failure, and I get it. But let me, you know, as we wrap this up, let me tell you, rest assured that people will respect an attempt over any day over the week over a failure to ever try. They will respect the attempt every time, every time, the fact that you at least tried. Now, I listen— Again, we, this is a company at its core that is focused on fixing the problems. Yeah. Are we going to fix them all? Probably not. But are we having impact and change? Yes. And this is a big conversation to have, and it really does start at this level. You want to start fixing things. You want to sit there and complain that, are you part of the problem or are you part of the solution? And you, and in order to be a, a solution giver, somebody who's going to be solving problems, you have to open your mouth, you have to take some action in a proactive way to begin to implement a new culture. And that is not based on the old culture, unless the old culture was something great, which it probably wasn't. There's a, just a different way it's done now. And when we can get people, some people don't like this, you know, but eventually I can tell everybody, we get this in class, you should tell my captain, you should tell my lieutenant, you should tell my chief that. And I respond with, I am telling every captain and chief and lieutenant and sergeant right now. They're just not there yet, but they will be. And we've seen it here in New Jersey. Eight years ago yeah. when I started opening my mouth and the mud was coming my way and ducking fruit and tomatoes and vegetables <laughs> and car tires, I just kept going at it. I was tenacious. I ignored the noise. And now we have all those people who were there listening eight years ago who are your chiefs, captains, lieutenants. You know what's happening? That's what's happening. Not everywhere, but enough. Enough of messages from chiefs that say, I was there when I when you started talking. I loved your message, and I'm here now. Now you got some big boys in your corner, yep. and we do. And we've won the hearts and minds of a lot of the state, a majority of the state. The ones we haven't won, I don't try to sell to people who are unsellable. I don't try to cry on deaf ears. We'll just wait you out. You ain't going to be there forever. And then the next person who comes along, if I can get in their ear and they're going to be the part of the change, that matters. Well, then my job has been accomplished. But always there to help. Right. Never turn around and say, you know, oh, sorry, just because you're not, you know, wearing one of these shirts. Uh, you know, the door is always open. And I think that's what separates us is that ability to, you know, we answer the phone, we answer the messages, we answer the questions. And it's not about, uh, you know, uh, 
nickel and dime in anybody. It's because your heart's in the right place. I think that's what separates it. And, and that's, a, that's a culture thing that I think is contagious and contagious in a good way. I don't think that the majority of us and, and the, the supervisors and the leaders and the chiefs, they're not bad people. A lot of them were just never shown the way. Right. And change in our industry is something that's not, not something that comes about easy. Um, so, and I get it. I recognize it as you do. I'm sure before I did by doing this game, uh, this is, yeah, it's, it's definitely not the norm. It's far from tradition. And what do we find with tradition? A safety net. Doesn't mean it's efficient. Doesn't mean it's productive. Um, I, I tell you, you know, I mean, I'm out to just have it where as you're reaching toward the end of your shelf life in your career, you feel like you have a little bit left in the tank, not that you're totally depleted. Yeah. I mean, listen, uh, we both have about this actually. We just talked about this last night at my yeah, house. Yeah, we start. We both started our law months. enforcement careers about three weeks apart. Yeah. So in 2001, Tommy and I both started, and yeah. you know, you got 20 years. You're a big thinker. You've been putting a lot of thought into things. You've observed. Yeah. You've helped. You've been part of the solution, and so you know, it's time to it's time to uh, start being part of that solution and saying the things that you need to say. So yes, sir. Without further ado, I have nothing else. Tom Rizzo, very good friend of mine. Thanks for being here, Tom, and we'll have him back again. Your questions, keep them coming in, and. This was episode one of the Street Cop Podcast. Hopefully you enjoyed it, and we will see you next time. Thank you.